With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. today uh <laughs> snowing where i'm at uh ice everywhere else but uh joining me in the studio tonight i've got Luis torres and richard uden guys how are you man good thank you good to be back for a new year yeah yeah weather in the storm okay it's actually been better since i arrived literally a few hours ago after being to daytona and the state of florida for the past two and a half weeks all right and richard you you guys get some weather down in the Carolinas? Oh, you know, it's, it's North Carolina. You have four seasons in a day, so, uh, you know, <laughs> nothing new there then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, lots transpired since we last uh, were on the air, um, you, you most notably um, the start of the NASCAR season and the Daytona 500, as well as the um, uh, the uh, clash on the road course for the first time, the um, – the uh, qualifying races, uh, but surprise winner at the 500. And Louise, you were down there in Day- Daytona. We've got it. We've got an old uh, open wheel guy. You know, uh, Michael McDowell um, mm-hmm. won the Daytona 500. And a lot of people don't realize he was a. This is a guy who started out on the road Indy. Yes, you know he ran some, for, ran some Formula Renault. Uh, he won the Star Mazda. Uh, challenge. Uh, he had a couple of starts in the Champ Car Series before he moved to uh, the, the sports cars and been in NASCAR for a while looking for a win and wow, just kind of fell into his lap. Right place, right time. Yeah, for sure. He, it certainly helped uh, a little bump drafting gone wrong, kind of laid out of our ordeal. But the thing that people need to remember, those who follow the sport long enough, is that McDowell has always been pretty good on the super speedways. If you want, like, a dark horse pick, McDowell has always typically been the good choice for some people. I remember a few years ago when it comes to when I used to do NASCAR.com Fantasy, I would typically pick McDowell for, like, the super speedway races because it's cheap, but also he does pretty well. It's just not have the results to show by. Yeah, he got a couple top fives out of it, but, like, Strong results that show that, yeah, front row motorsports are a pretty darn good super speedway team. And who knows how they would, if, how would David Reagan would have done because he got wiped out in that big one before the lightning strike. But yeah, McDowell had a 
quiet, noble race, like per usual. And then he was trying to help Keselowski try to get by Joey Logano, but a little tap gave so much momentum that Keselowski ran into Logano. Logano might have blocked a little bit and then caused the whole ripple effect where all the Penske guys, including Austin Cindric, who I mind you, had a superb run in the 500. It's weird to think he almost didn't even make the 500. And then everybody were flip fire tires everywhere. And McDowell just got the win, which was huge because he's been in the Cup Series since 2008. Some people know him as just the guy that tumbled at Texas or the guy that was involved in that bubble wall of singing the All-Star race. But this was a huge win for him, to say the least. And I thought, and I thought to myself, it was definitely worth the wait. It, like it was six hours and all, or so. To see something like that, I thought it was worth it. Yet some people are upset that the caution came out when it did. It's like, y'all realize there was fire and Brad Keselowski's tire flying in the air, right? There's no reason. That's a safety thing. You just can't be saying, like, why the caution came. It's like, dude, there was fire and debris everywhere. But all in all, a superb victory, a surprising victory. And I still, even waking up the past couple mornings, I'm still thinking, Michael McDowell, Daytona 500 champion. What a time to be alive. Yeah, so oddly enough, here's a guy who graduated from Junior Series in 2004. 2004 was his last year in so-called Junior Series. Um, so it's a long stretch to a, a major major victory in NASCAR. You know, he's had some sports car wins, uh, I know that. But uh, a lot of these guys that have had a long spell in NASCAR uh, before getting their first win uh, really haven't amounted to a whole lot. So is this is this a renaissance for um, McDowell where he'll go on to, you know, maybe win a couple more races or, or perhaps contend for the championship? Or is it just a fluke, you know, like uh, a Derek Cope or a, um, a Michael Waltrip who was, you know, he was a uh, Drove, drove forever and really didn't amount to a lot. I mean, what are your thoughts there? Because I, I personally, personally, I like McDowell. I think the guy's very talented. Uh, I'd love to see him in a, in a top-line car. The thing is with Derek Cope and all those fluke wins that people will say, is that Cope, yeah, he was handed the, basically the victory after Earnhardt's misfortune, but he had a good car. He had a pretty top-five car all day. Michael Waltrip, he had that Winston win in 96, but also had a couple good flashes of brilliance. And But he was more of a super speedway guy after that when he won the 500-01. Then there's Trevor Bain, who probably had the strongest car all week. And when it comes to him and Jeff Gordon working together, it was pretty much unstoppable. Where I see McDowell, I think it will boost his career. I think it helps more the race team as a whole because now they're – more than likely going to have their second playoff appearance, not the first, according to one one notable higher-up outlet that says it's the first, it's the second, because Chris Buescher made it in 2016. He had a work, he had his work cut up for because he was outside the top 30 at the time, but he got the job done. But to have front row get that big win the way they did, I think it'll help them longer because they're getting progressively better over time. Because they've been around the sport since like 0405, so I think it's a culmination of of their of their build and build and build. Now they're going to get more money out of it that hopefully could lead to strong results. And you got all those road courses as well, where McDowell is pretty much known for 
And that's how I first known about knew about him back in 04 in those Speed Channel Spotlight commercials that he used to air back in the day. He's a pretty darn good road racer. I see having those seven races, you could count on him being a dark horse on those as well. It's just a matter of the performance of the car and where he where he stands with like the likes of Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr. That's going to be a huge question mark. But I think it's looking like to be a career season for McDowell, honestly. Because he's gotten better over time, and so has the race team. All right. Now, Richard, um, you've worked in the sport for a number of years. And um, and what are your thoughts on Front Row Motorsports? Are they they building and and are they ready to – you know, jump over that next uh, that next hoop to, uh, uh, you know, be like, what do they call best of the rest? Yeah, I, uh, it's difficult to say, really. I, the, the, you know, as you say, the, the, this sort of team that, you know, you imagine they, they, they probably get by pretty much year by year. They, they're, they're not a main um, Ford-back team like a, a Roush or a, a Penske would be. So they... I believe they'll buy their chassis from from Penske. I believe or you may correct me on that one. So they're, you know, they're not a a top line team, and I really think they need some investment if if to ever get there. And it's so competitive at that top end. You know, would Ford really want to dilute their resources to give them an opportunity? I I, I think that that may be uh, pushing it a little bit. See, that's an interesting question, because now, now you've got a guy who's got a spot in the chase, provided he finishes in the top 30. Uh, you would think Ford would want to kind of get behind him and maybe give them a little more resources just to make sure he gets there uh, to get another Ford into that, uh, you know, the playoff system. Yeah, I, I, I really don't. Yeah, I, I can't see that happening, uh, in all fairness. I, I think that... In reality, they're going to be a first-round exit from the playoffs. And, yeah, you know, they'll probably get a bit more money through sponsorship. And, and you know, Ford will probably have something in the contract so they get a little bit more backing. But long-term, I really don't think it's going to be a huge benefit to them, uh, which is a shame. But, you know, because they've always been, a, you know, I've known people that have worked there. They've always been a, you know, a well-run team where the, you know the people that run the place look after the people that work there but you know they're never going to be a, a championship contending uh outfit there which is a shame you know it, it does breed young drivers it breeds the young engineers uh, and that's its its biggest uh, you know effort really i think that what you're going to see you know out of them over the next few years uh, that is very true aside from mcdowell even before aside from mcdowell they've just been kind of like not continuity that for the most purpose yeah. was the third they have their third rookie driver in as many years albeit tiff was health related and then Nemechek just i'd imagine just took the better more competitive ride on even if it's a lower series if we're kyle bush motorsport to give alfredo the opportunity but yeah it's kind of like a proving ground for those that probably ultimately could end up with pansky or stewart haas racing in the future and i think you need that race teams that provides that opportunity that are sure they get a top 15 on occasions but also give folks an opportunity to get into the sport and that's what i see front row and they've been doing it pretty much the right way unlike some teams in the back 
Yeah, I mean, I think they have had a, a they do have a tie in with um, Roush, don't they? Because that was how Chris Busher ended up there in what. 15 or 16, a, wasn't it? 16, 16 on a yeah. lease, I think. Yeah, so I think there's some sort of, um, you know, link there, which, again, it's what that's all these teams can really sort of go on. And it's good that, you know, uh, it, they have become a more stable team in the last three or four years with a regular driver and, you know, regular sponsors. Um, you know, they're not reliant on paid drivers who will do a couple of races here and there and, you know, uh, and all that sort of stuff. It's uh, it'll certainly help them to have that stability, because uh, this is what the s- second, third race they've won. It is their third, and all of them were vision pair visual. What are, what would they say? Vision affected races. Like when Reagan won in Talladega, okay. 2013 was dark. 2016 with Busher, it was foggy. That was and it. Then, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And this one was wetter and fog that became yeah. such a concern that people thought. They're racing the halfway because they thought the fog was going to get pretty bad. So you know they're there. They'll they'll pick up the scraps of what's going around. You know they'll they'll nick the odd win one every five years or whatever it works out to be. They'll you know have a couple of top fives at super speedways or they may throw a bit of a you know a strategy call which gets them into a top ten somewhere. But you know they're going to be running around what you know the, the if you look at I've just got it up here actually McDowell in his three full seasons he's been 28th 27th and 25th uh, with the team so you know you expect them to make the playoffs there you know as long as they they don't have anything you know major issues going forward and you know obviously the points from winning a race will, will bump them up in the standings there a little bit so you know they'll probably finish you know 20th to 25th in the points and you know knocked out in the first round of the playoffs but it, it's good for the team it's good for the morale of people around there i think it's good for the sport as well it was uh the only shame is what time did the race finish about 12 30 one o'clock in the morning so nobody really saw it yeah past past midnight yeah and i think tech was completed around four four fifteen four thirty because i've left You've the track a, before three and i mean you you You've got a question. I, I, I put, I'd question it now. I know there are contracts with the TV guys, and if they, uh, you know, don't start the race or don't complete the race on the day, I think it's if they don't start the race on the day of the broadcast, then they lose quite a considerable amount of money from the broadcast places. But you know, you take you, you take middle of February with everything that's going on in the world right now, you could have run that race at five o'clock or six, seven o'clock on a Monday evening. And because the teams are all staying down there, because it's Daytona again this weekend for the road course. So yeah, you just aside from to, bringing cars from Charlotte yeah, or Concord, I mean they'd be on the way anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that's not you know the crew will all be staying down there. Very few of them will be travelling back to the shop uh, back in North Carolina. So you wonder why they. And I say I know there's a little bit of money going on around there, but you know surely there would be this. Let's just stick it down in you know Monday evening. Because there's no other sport on TV, really. Yep, yeah, um, yeah, Monday Night Football's done for the year, right? Yeah, exactly. Aside, aside from the NBA, but they don't do major Monday games yeah. in Asia, so, unless it's the finals. You, know, you could have really put it out there and, and made a bonus TV show in a way, but or a bonus airing, but you know that never really took off. And uh, They I had to sacrifice missed... a TV show that was supposed to premiere that very Sunday till next week, and then looking at the ratings that looked like WWE Raw ratings from five, six years ago. That's Fox going to look at that. It's like, 
was it worth moving that new show yeah. to next week? Yeah. you know, you're probably going to think about it that yeah, way. Yeah, then on the other side of the coin, you know, could they have started the race earlier? That, that's a, a- Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. A lot of the sentiment, especially from folks on the East Coast, are why don't we have a 1 p.m. start time like we used to in the past? You know, and the obvious answer is it's more palatable to the West Coast viewers. Yeah, they want to cater to the L.A. crowd because that's where Fox is from, Los Angeles. Their main headquarters sports studios in Los Angeles compared to ESPN being in Tennessee, Connecticut, and all that stuff. I just wish they'd do something about the pre-race show because it was like two hours of just, whew, that was hard work and watching they, and, they and, and, if they, and, the and if they'd have gotten the two hours race. of racing in in those two hours, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just but, saying. So let's talk about, there were a couple other races at, at Daytona this week, most notably the uh, Xfinity race where, um, you know, the our Xfinity champion from last year, uh, Austin Cedric picked up where he left off and won at Daytona. You know what that means, don't you? Yep. Indy well, 500. Closest <laughs> <laughs> Man, imagine if Austin did win that Daytona. Imagine if he found a way because he looked like he probably could have been up there. Oh, yeah. He had a superb I mean, it does, run. It does. You know, we, we actually had these discussions. You know, Daytona is one of these races where, you know, you get, you know, more cars than normal entering. And you know it is a bit of a fluke result. You know, it's it's not like it's not like a Phoenix where Kevin Harvick always wins, or a you know a road course where Chase Elliott is always there or thereabouts. You know, you can yeah, you have your favourites, but it's not unusual to get a shock result there. So with the playoff strategy, you know, what happens if you get a car that is a part-time car that suddenly wins? You know, do you uh, just Haley? You know, do you turn around and say, okay, well we're now got a chance to make it into the championship, do we find, you know, funding somewhere to try and scrape it through for the full season to get well, yeah, into the playoffs? The thing Just about the Spire... Is huge. Yeah, the thing with Spire is that they're most... No, wait, I think Seth one time mentioned that cup teams don't have that exemption, that unique rule where if the team wins, stays in the top 30, they go into the owner points playoffs like they do yeah. in Xfinity and Trucks. Yeah, but Heater or Spire were not going to make the top yeah. 30. They were well out of it by July anyway. Well, yeah, exactly, because they won the mid-season race, didn't they? So they were, yes. you know, yeah. Right, but Richard, <laughs> to your point, yeah, the, yeah, winning the first race of the season, then he said, well, we've got, yeah, we've, I mean, got, we went a, we've there, got an opportunity remember, here. Geez, when would it have been? 16 or 17, I think it was, maybe 16. We went there with, uh, when I was with uh, Richard Childress, we went there with, Ty Dillon in the 33, and you know, as, as a as a part time entry, uh, he did a few races that year, I think, from what I can remember. I knew he did. Oh, the um, McDowell went to the 59. Yes, yeah, something like that. And you think, well, you know what? You because you know, Childress, we made some reasonably good speedway cars then, and just like, hey, you know, what happens if Ty wins? And he was actually having a good run, and you know, we we're like, oh, this could happen here, guys. Oh boy. 
And of course, it you know it never transpired like that. But it, you know, it's an interesting one from a you know it's a good okay. At the end of the day, it's a good problem to have, isn't it? If you're a team owner. Yeah, I imagine so. And if Cindric found a way, because he was probably because had he not caught up in that wreck, I think he was. People were thinking he was probably gonna have the best Cup debut since Rusty Wallace in 1980 at Atlanta with Penske. <laughs> which was his only Penske start until 1991, which I pointed out because he went to some ran- some team, I can't, some random team, then the Die Guard, and then the Raymond Beetle, and so on. Yeah, so speaking of a, a bad day for an owner, let's talk about um, Roger Penske. <laughs> yeah, speaking of speaking So, of I, you know, so now, now, Louise, you were, you were there. You were on the ground at Daytona. Um, yeah. You were there for all the post-race interviews. So uh, uh, is there now bad blood between uh, uh, Joey and Brad, or, or is it or is it just a bit of a racing incident? Because it's, it's hard to, you know, some are pinning that on McDowell for pushing Brad, so, and, mm-hmm. and others are pinning that on Logano for blocking. So, e- either way, or, it seems like, it seems like yeah. Brad's the innocent victim. Yeah, because Brad got that heavy push from McDowell that I alluded to. And after seeing the replay a day after I was out of the media center, because that's all we could be in the media center. Media, some of y'all know who I am. I love doing both writing and photography. I was cooped up in the writing aspect because that's all they could do. I won't go into all that details here. I'll probably say off air. But anyway, yeah, I, at first I was thinking that was definitely Brad. Then I looked at the replay and said, okay, I can see why some people feel about that way with McDowell. And then the following day, full replay, looking at Logano was on board. It looked like he was attempting to make the block, but that push that McDowell gave to Brad Keselowski brought all that momentum that had Logano stayed put a little bit, it could. I don't think you could have avoided it. It was just, it was just doomed from the start. I don't think there's bad blood between them. But it's like the third or fourth time that Logano and Kislowski were involved in incidents in those weird circumstances. It reminds me back at Bristol when both of them took themselves out in 2015, I think. But no, it's the Daytona 5. I think Brad is just more angry and frustrated because that was probably his closest shot to have ever break that break that curse of winning of not winning the Daytona 500. Yeah, that's the, that's the one major he needs to. Uh... You know, put a footnote on his career there. Say won all the majors because he's he's won all the other ones. Yeah, and so. also it's just like you, everybody waited and waited and waited till the very end to make a movie because it was just freight train, which honestly it was kind of expected. I think they learned their lessons. Like, okay, we need to run. They waited, and then I think for the cup side, you can wait. Arc on the other hand, you cannot wait till the white flag. You just cannot. They are atrocious in a the package they have. And those super speedway and narco, it's atrocious. I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be blunt about it. It is atrocious. To where, if you want to make your winning move, you gotta do it with five to go. You don't wait on the last lap like you used to. Why? You just don't. You gotta make your move now, and it's reasonable time. Where in Cup, you can you can wait till the last lap. You just have to be very careful how you do it. It's just a part of it's just racing ordeal, and also it's just the last lap at the Daytona 500 where everybody goes. Hey, everybody goes crazy to make their move to see what happens. It's just McDowell was in the right spot at the right time. Sure, it affects the team Penske where all their cars got destroyed. And then behold, Austin Cindric got – whew, that was a brutal hit for Cindric and Kyle Busch as well. Because that that was just 
that was just brutal. That was a hard lick of an accident. And the fact that people were upset that the caution came out for is like, there's no defending where there's fire. Yeah, I, was gonna say, I can't imagine somebody would be upset that a caution came out for a wreck of that magnitude. You know what I mean? Yeah, we we, we, stopped, we, we stopped racing to the line in, was it 1903? Or, yeah, 2003, right? Yeah, after Dale Jarrett. After, yeah, we almost killed Dale Jarrett, yeah. Yeah, for stuff like that, I understand, but like, would. It's it's just a it's just a judgment call. I think it's just a judgment call, and I think some people felt like, well, Elliot won the race. It's like, gosh, came out. They go by the last scoring loop. I thought this was established. I guess it's not established to some people. No, I mean you got your Chase fans are are enthusiastic. You know, it's the same mindset of people that think uh, Paul Tracy won the uh, Indy 500 in 2002. You know, you no, you weren't there when the scoring stopped. So, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Congratulations to Michael McDowell. I mean, yeah. honestly, guy. I mean, here's a guy. Here's a guy that I had my eye on in 2004, 2005, and really hadn't thought much about him since. And I'll be honest with you, I had to work early Monday morning, so I, uh, I. You know, I, I went to bed. I didn't stay up to watch the race. I, I caught the uh, uh, my DVR the next day. Uh, but, uh, yeah, congratulations to Michael. Good stuff for that team. Uh, good stuff for him. And we're off to Daytona again to run on the road course. And, again. Um, <laughs> again. Again. And I went to the White House again, and I met the president again. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any Dr. Peppers? The Dr. Peppers was free, and I was real thirsty. Um, <laughs> but I, but I digress. So uh, so who do you like for this road course? I mean, a lot of folks are saying, "Hey, man, you know, McDowell is a, a beast on road course," which he is because he's got all that sports car experience and all that. Uh, you know, Star Mazda and IndyCar experience, but uh, honestly, he really hasn't been on fire in an NASCAR no. car, in a Cup car, on road courses. Um, and it's probably because the, the, the team the team isn't run, giving him yeah. that type of car. So uh, I've, I've got to look past saying McDowell repeats. Who do you guys like for this race other than Chase Elliott? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say besides Chase Elliott, I think. Don't count Ryan Blaney out, and oh, also don't count, and never count out Truex either. Sure, Truex has been relatively quiet on those road courses, or pretty much essentially ever since, for over a year. He's not won since Atlanta, I believe. No, Martinsville, that midweek night race. So it's been a while since Truex has had like a result that, oh, look at that, this is the Truex of old. I can't believe I'm saying this is the Truex of old because they're, doesn't feel like that long ago the tricks was just strong on those road courses and on any form of tracks besides shorts. So I, I think Truex will finally get it together and have that strong run and showcase that it's notably Chase. It's like, hey, I was the road king for a minute. I'm back. All right. And Richard, what do you think, man? Probably, I mean, Kyle Busch, I mean, he had a good run there in the clash, didn't he, or the, uh, whatever they call it, uh, you know, and he won that, uh, you know, he was he was obviously, you know, Blaney and, uh, and Chase sort of 
took each other out there at the end, but he was there to pick up the pieces, not a million miles away behind it. You know, he's probably not going to be going to be far off. But uh, yeah, and Kyle's not that. It's not too shabby on those road races either. You know, as I look as I look at this thing logically, uh, you know, I want to say it's going to kind of probably come down to, uh, you know, Chase and Blaney again. I think the one I'm interested to see is AJ Allmendinger, how that college car does on the road course in the Cup level. Yeah, it will be an interesting experiment because Colleg has never run anything outside of the Super Speedway, so this is their first non-Super Speedway race, and their hopes to probably make it the Cup at early next year or the year after. So we'll see how the how Allmendinger does in his in his return because it will be a fun. Show no matter what sanctioning it, what division it is, because when you have Almendinger in a road course, it's you don't miss, you just don't miss how he does. Okay, so all right, so correct me if I'm wrong. Almendinger is doing a full season of Xfinity this year, correct? Yes. Yeah. But he's got select cup races. Mm-hmm. See, I didn't realize Almendinger was entered uh, this week coming up, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's definitely a ringer on the road courses. I mean, I mean, I know AJ. I've met him a couple of times. Good dude, man. I uh, I really wish him well. Um, I, I don't know that that team is up to winning the road course, but uh, they certainly have the right shoe in the in the car if they want to. I yeah. think he could be he could be a good shout for that Xfinity Championship. You know, they're a good. You know, I really like the way they've gone about it. They've grown that team up over the last four or five years, and they've done a really professional, good, solid job. And they've obviously got aims at being in the Cup Series, and they're doing it properly. Um, you know, yeah, so true. I think it's yeah, I think it's good. No, I think certainly he's a favorite for the Xfinity Championship. You know, given the uh, road course heavy schedule that we have for this year. So, all right, so. Uh, let's move on from NASCAR, or maybe not. Let's talk about uh, this new program on Netflix. I don't know if you guys had a chance to see this yet. I just got back home. So, and, uh, <laughs> so Netflix premiered a television show, and it's called The Crew, and it's a NASCAR-themed, uh, what do they call it, a workplace sitcom. So I, you know, curious enough. Ironic, could, isn't it? Yeah, Sorry. well, I'd yeah, be curious <laughs> not because Netflix is really good at marketing their stuff. Well, they they'll just stick it right on your watch list. They'll say recommended for you. I said okay, and then they do that for everybody. So this actually could give NASCAR a bit of a boost. Um, so I watched um, oh the whole first season uh, because they drop a whole season at once because I kind of got sucked into it. But this star, this show stars. Um, Kevin James, who you know from uh, King of Queens, or um, uh, and now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, or Paul Blart, Ma- you know Mall Cop, um, but uh, he, he plays the crew chief, agent crew chief on a team where the um, uh, the the owner of the team decides to go ahead and retire and turn the team over to his daughter, who is has, you know, a little bit of a different point of view. So what we're looking at is, you know, just a workplace sitcom, right? And the, the thing for me that really stood out after watching a number of episodes, there are no actual racing scenes in this show. It all takes place, it all takes place either in the shop or at the local bar they like to hang out at or 
uh, when the, when they are at the racetrack, you just see them in the pit box looking at the action. So I, obviously, so this uh, cost the producers a little bit less. They didn't have to, uh, you know, put any uh, camera cars into an actual race. So you never see the cars racing, but uh, you know, just for just for the fun value, I, I thought it was kind of cool. I, I thought it was kind of <laughs> cool, and I think it could give NASCAR a little boost. Yeah, I think some of it had to do with COVID-related, I'd imagine, because all they got was just the Michigan doubleheaders when Sorensen drove the 74 car, I think, from the racing shot aspect. But sometimes I think, I haven't seen it yet, I plan on to, and also the last two or three episodes (laughs) of WandaVision as well, they need to catch up on the. But I suppose what you're telling me, it sounds like it's more or less focused on the 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 behind-the-scenes element rather than just the racing itself which I think is an interesting approach to go about because sometimes when they do racing footage, they're either really darn good and it's not too CGI obvious, like Driven and Checker Flag and Redline 5000. <laughs> but it's good, to, but it sounds very intriguing what you just said, and I probably look into that because we talked about it off air that sometimes when you show race footage, they match all right or they just don't match at all. Yeah, but like I said, no actual race footage in this thing at all. It's just all in the shop. It's all in the shop. They've got a few drivers. I saw some stuff with Austin Dillon and Ryan Blaney. Or oh, oh uh, Ryan Blaney is so funny in this. He's, uh, you know, they, they they run into Austin Dillon and Ryan Blaney at the bar they go to. So I don't, I don't want to ruin it for you all. But, um, yeah, yeah, those guys are, uh, Blaney especially, solid gold, solid gold comic actor. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. I enjoyed it. But, but again, you, can't, you know, you got to take it at face value. But the thing for me, um, if because I, I love the movie Talladega Nights as a just a freaking comedy. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, NASCAR culture is the butt of the joke in Talladega Nights. This show, NASCAR culture is not really the butt of the joke. It's just a situational comedy about relationships in the workplace. It's just like you don't have to love the paper industry to watch The Office. So, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So I'm just saying, this could catch on with some folks because Netflix is so good at pushing stuff at you that you, that you never have heard of. And, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility, somebody may say. Well, let me go watch a NASCAR race to see what this is all about. So, anyway, so that's a... And then realize that the show is more entertaining than the race. Ah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, so uh, so awesome next time. Now, Richard, you're our Formula One guy. Lots of changes in Formula One this year. Uh, not so much for the cars, but uh, some driver movement, some yeah. schedule tweaks and whatnot. So uh, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's uh, go ahead and update on um, Formula One. We've had a couple of car launches here and there. Um, well, we had, a, we we had, had an unfortunate incident with um, Fernando Alonso got into a uh, yeah. road accident. So uh, have, yeah. I'm just going to turn it over to you and uh, just update us on Formula One. Well, we can go back even further because uh, when we uh, when we signed off at the back end of the last year, Lewis Hamilton had been crowned seven-time world champion, and uh, we had three races left, and we thought they'd be pretty processional and boring, and uh, they've pretty much turned out to be anything but. Um, 
we had the, the very scary uh, accident at uh, in the first Bahrain race, at the start of the race there, where, as I'm sure everybody's seen, Roman Grosjean uh, went through the barrier, split his car into, burst into flames, and, uh, you know, I think everything that needs to be said about that accident has been said there. The uh, incredible strength of the the halo that uh, undoubtedly saved Roman's life there. The um, you know the, the the rapid response of the medical crew uh, that, that undoubtedly uh, you know helped helped him to have far less severe injuries. Um, and unfortunately, that was uh, that was Roman's uh, last last time in a uh, in a car as he'd been dropped by uh, by Haas at the end of the year. We then go on to the second Bahrain race, which actually used the uh, exterior track, and the big surprise there was that Lewis Hamilton and his COVID-19 diagnosis missed that race. So George Russell was drafted up from the Williams team and um, should have won the race. Uh, you know, Valtteri for the first time in George Russell's career qualified him. Uh, so Russell started on second, his second place on the uh, on the grid there, but uh, he got ahead relatively early and controlled the race. And if it wasn't for a comedy of errors from the Mercedes team. Uh, Russell would have taken his maiden win. Um, he did score points, thankfully at last, which I think he, he wholeheartedly deserved. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a shame that he missed out on that uh, well-deserved victory there. And um, ironically, in the off-season, Toto Wolff was asked about George Russell's long-term, uh, you know, place on the Formula One grid, and Toto said, "Oh, he's, he's undoubtedly a superstar in the making. He's just got to cut out the stupid mistakes." Well, Toto, actually, I think. Uh, I, I, you know, what's the saying about people in glass houses throwing stones? Uh, <laughs> he's got to look at himself a little bit there, but uh, you know that, that was a good end to the season. There's, you know, could have been two or three boring races there, but uh, you know it was a little bit entertaining. And uh, the most important thing, obviously, is that uh, Grosjean walked away uh, relatively unscathed from that uh, horrific accident there. So moving into 2021, uh, driver changes. Fernando Alonso is back. Daniel Ricciardo moving over to. Uh, to the McLaren team, uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. going from McLaren to Ferrari, um, Sebastian Vettel going from Ferrari over to Aston Martin as the new team, replacing uh, Racing Point, Force India, Midland, Jordan, whatever they want to be called. Um, Alex Albon being dropped by Red Bull, not a huge surprise there, but uh, Checo Sergio Perez uh, filling that seat, which I think is a fantastic opportunity for him, and Will undoubtedly strengthen the uh, the Red Bull team there and give them an opportunity to really challenge week in week out uh, the Mercedes. You expect those two teams, those two cars, will be the, the class of the field again. Um, both both Haas drivers uh, leaving, uh, Kevin Magnussen and uh, um, Roman Grosjean leaving. Uh, Mick Schumacher coming in, who won the uh, Formula Two championship. And uh, Mazepan, the uh, young uh, Russian driver, uh, signing up and, and pretty much within 24 hours of signing a contract with the Formula 1 team almost loses the contract through some uh, slightly inappropriate social media posts. But uh, hopefully he'll learn from that. Um, hopefully he'll learn from that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm not holding my breath on that one. I, I think the kid's a little bit of a... Uh, in money talks in that case, I think. He's, he's obviously a talented driver, but... I think, you know, Callum Eilert and guys like that could probably consider themselves very unfortunate not to have uh, not to have got that seat there alongside Mick Schumacher. But, uh, yeah, there's some good changes there. And, uh, yeah, earlier this week we had the first launch. Uh, the new McLaren MP35M, uh, with the M denoting the, uh, the Mercedes engine partnership. 
Um, oh, sorry, MCL 35M. Uh, they've, they've changed it from the old MP. MCL 35M. Uh, they had a shakedown at Silverstone on Tuesday. Uh, Williams had their shakedown on on Wednesday, I believe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, car looks visually very, very similar. Uh, 2021 was supposed to be the, the year of the new uh, regulations coming into Formula 1, the dramatically new new appearance of the cars. But with everything that went on last year, um, that, uh, that's been delayed through to 2022 now. So to help the team save money and not go into another development war in the middle of COVID, they, uh, they've announced like a token system, uh, which limits the amount of uh, development teams can do uh, uh, between the 20 and 2021 uh, car. And of course, McLaren will have used the majority of their tokens on the rear of the car to add, um, you know, the, the um, uh, installation going from the Renault engines through to the Mercedes engine. And you can only imagine that's a, a great move for the for McLaren team. I think it'll really bolster their chances of maintaining that third place in the championship. I don't think they'll get second. I don't think they're in a position to really challenge Red Bull yet. But uh, I think that the potentials there is huge for what uh, that team can do. You know, they've undoubtedly got two really good, solid, solid drivers. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, a seven-time race winner. And Lando Norris, um, you know, a really good, exciting young talent there that, uh, you know, it's hard to believe really he's entering his third season already. But uh, some of his drives were fantastic last year. And he's a really, comes across anyway, he's a really likable guy. And I think that he had a great chemistry with um, Carlos Sainz. And, you know, what was really nice to see was although Carlos Sainz actually announced he was leaving, at this, before the 2020 season actually got underway, you know, there wasn't this animosity, there was this, you know, they still appeared on the face of things to have a very, very good relationship. You know, you heard Carlos on the radio, you know, throughout the season, and there was a great rapport still with his engineers. So that's a very um, amicable transition, I think, there. And, and Daniel Ricciardo coming, I think, is just going to heighten their branding and their appeal. Because McLaren's changed a lot in the last 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. A whole you, lot. You cannot deny the success they had initially in the mid to late 80s with Alan Prost and uh, Ent Senna, and then towards the end of the 2000s when uh, Mika Hakkinen and David Coulthard were there, and even when, when Kimi came on and Juan Pablo in the early 2000s there, you know, and, and they lost their way a little bit. And, you know, and, and, and did, didn't Hamilton win his first championship with McLaren? Well, he yep. did. No way. Uh, yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. very true. Yeah. Could have probably won his first two seasons. Yeah, 07, he probably should have won as well. But um, you look at, you know, the Ron Dennis thing. Ron, I had a couple of run-ins with him, (laughs) to put it mildly. He he was an old school sort of guy. and No nonsense. Yeah, and it was very clinical. You know, you look at the McLaren Technology Centre, it's a fantastic facility, but it's, it's almost like a you know a hospital operating room you know it's uh, and it, th- that it should be but you know you, from now I've never I never worked with McLaren but from people that have worked there you know there was sort of like you weren't allowed any personal items at your desk you weren't you know you had to pack everything away from your desk at night and your desk had to be empty it was almost too clinical and and and, and like that and they were certainly encouraged 
people that work there. I know people that work there, and the very, very talented engineers that left after a relatively short period of time because they didn't like the environment to work there. It was a, a different way of working, and it didn't suit some people. And now, you know, you had Ron Dennis step down. He had, uh, you know, some issues there on, on a family side. He lost his brother, I believe, about 10, 12 years ago, and that affected him very hard. So he took a back step, and Martin Whitmarsh came in, and they just never really got the results under Martin. I think he, the potential there was was there. But um, This was when Paris took over Hamilton's ride, right? Yeah, it was all got a little bit messy, and the whole when Mercedes turned around and bought out Braun and became their own team, and, you know, they sort of lost their way a little bit, and then they got involved in the road car industry, and they were really the first Formula One team to create an external company, a advanced engineering or whatever you may want to call it. And, um, excuse me, you know, they sort of diluted themselves a little bit too much. And now I think with uh, Zach Brown coming in as, as chairman or uh, CEO and uh, Andreas Seidel as the day to day racing manager, if you like, of the team. I think they've got a really good structure there. Two good drivers. They've got great facilities. Um, and I think the future is starting, they're starting to turn that corner. The Honda thing just didn't work for them. Um, and I think that, again, was partly the culture within McLaren. Uh, you know, you look at the success they've had with Red Bull, and that's the only concern I have. If McLaren wants to start winning championships again, will Mercedes allow it? You know, will Mercedes allow McLaren to beat them with their own engine? I find that very, very hard to believe. I personally think that McLaren should have stuck it out with Honda. I think that they burnt the bridges there. I think if they had stuck it out with them, they would have got it right eventually. They probably wouldn't have been in the financial difficulty they're in right now because Honda would have invested more money, although admittedly Honda have pulled out from the Red Bull deal. So... You know, so, but, but let's talk about that Red Bull deal for a second, because yeah. there was a story the other day that Red Bull is going to use Honda engines or Honda-based engines for the next five years. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Red Bull have actually pulled up on master truck with their engine freeze. So from 2022, there's a three-year engine freeze through to 2025. And what Red Bull will be doing is basically hiring all of the Honda staff that are based out of um, the, uh, the Honda engine development site in the UK there and running it as their own engine supplier under the Red Bull, Red Bull branding, although it will be, to all intents and purposes, a Honda-based engine. And then from 2025 onwards, we have a new engine regulation, and Red Bull have openly admitted that they actually could go on to create their own engine for, for that season. So, uh, you know... When they say an engine freeze, I'm sure there will be some development work going on there, but not as much as we currently see. Another um, quick question I have, though. Is this similar? It started to sound like it's similar to the days where you have Mecha, Chrome, Acer, and Petronas. Is this what it's going to sound like with Red Bull and Honda in the future? I don't think so. I, I, think, I think this is um, – I think it's on a higher level than that. You know, the Mechachromes and like with the old, like two-year-old Renault engines rebranded and stuff like that. Whilst there were still Renault works teams there with a far better engine available to them, uh, I, I don't see that being the case here. I, I think this is very much going to be 
because there's no development, they you know whatever Honda wraps up at the end of 2021 is the engine that Tuan Sensor says they're going to run for the next five or next three years. So I think it's going to be a little bit different to that. And again, I think sport is the sport is different to what it was back then in the late 90s when you saw a lot of these. Um, Those you know, random names like Play Life. Yes. Yeah. They. Uh, you know. That's all changed a little bit. But um, now I think there's going to be a little bit more sustainability there. I think it's good. You know, for Red Bull because they. You know, who could they go to? You know, they can't go back to Renault. They burnt the bridges there. Although without Cyril. Um, yeah, say, there. Maybe they're, they're maybe that could have worked, but I don't see the real. Yeah, that a lot of people's noses were put out of place there, I think. So that was never going. They're never going to go to Ferrari because it's just you know where would Ferrari do with the competitor? And and the same yeah. with Mercedes. You know, even with Adrian Newey supposedly taking the, taking a back step from the day to day operations at Red Bull, he's that Red Bull is still one of the most aerodynamically efficient cars on the grid. And if you give it the best engine on the grid, poof, you know, you're, you're going to be struggling to beat it. You know, and Mercedes yeah. know that. So Mercedes, I mean, Mercedes, again, as I said a few minutes ago, Mercedes have taken a gamble by giving their engine to McLaren. And although it is part of the Formula 1 regulations, that if you manufacture your, an engine, you have to be allowed you have to make it available to other teams. There is still a certain amount of selectivity going on there as who who you sell your engine to. You know, you can't be forced to sell it to somebody. So um, I think you know, I, I think it's good. It's continuity, it's stability. Uh, it's a shame that Honda are pulling out. Uh, you know, they, they just they're like an enigma a little bit. Honda, there's so much potential there, and I've been involved with them. I mean, I work with them back in the early 2000s when they uh, bought out VAR. And there's just, they're so, so close to really, really making it work. Yeah, to go but, back to the McLaren and yeah. Williams. Yeah. The well, I don't is, know about Williams, though, because yeah, didn't they struggle yeah. with them? And, yeah. They did a little bit, but it was obviously, you know, the, those days, wasn't it? The 80, late 80s, when they had the McLaren Honda there, as dominant car as it was. And yeah, you, you're quite right with that. And But it was a different sport, it was a different era. The I think, and this is from personal experience, so it may have changed by now, but I think where Honda struggled pretty much since 2006 when they bought, as I say, when they bought into BAR, they have struggled with the integration of culture between European and Asian working mentality. And it's not to say that one's better than the other. You know, they've both been very, very successful. But when you try to integrate them too closely, too quickly, it really, really struggles. And, it, you know, that is what went wrong with, with the, the, the BAR Honda, Honda F1 project. It just didn't integrate properly. And I can imagine that that's what went wrong with the um, McLaren project. And it's, it's also it's a very um, clinical mentality that the Japanese have. You know, we all sit here as nostalgic racers and race fans and the like. You know, Honda is a, a publicly held company with shareholders, and their job is to make money. And if they don't think they're making money in Formula One, then they'll just pull the plug. You know, it's like everybody says, 
oh, you know, we need Honda in IndyCar or we need Honda in NASCAR or whatever. They're only going to do it if they can make money off it. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. They're like they're not gonna, yeah, they're not going to do it for out of the goodness of their heart. You know, they're going to do it to make money. They don't care about the fans in reality. They care about making money. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. a shame that they're leaving. But you know, the good news is Red Bull does have an engine supplier for the next uh, four, uh, four seasons, and then they may well start manufacturing their own engine for the 2025 year. Uh, yeah, I know they've looked at it in the past. They hired uh, Mario Willen, I think it was, uh, a few years ago as a consultant, and especially when they were struggling with Renault uh, at the early days of the Renault Hybrid. Uh, so there's certainly knowledge there. And, you know, again, a company with the, the, the resources of Red Bull, if they have long enough and enough money, they'll make it work, and they'll make it work very, very well. Which brings up an interesting question. Do you foresee a time in the coming future – where the perhaps the engine manufacturers take a step back financially as the teams start to build their own engines. No. Uh, no. Okay. Well, that, 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 that was a pretty quick no. But but if, 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 if but, but, but but if you look at this thing, if these, uh, you know, honestly, right, you got to think about. Uh, the fact that, uh, oh, perhaps, uh, you know, engine manufacturers want to do what's going to be relevant in road cars, okay? And Formula One has okay. tried to be relevant in road cars, right? But if they're going to go to all electric, you know, you have to just look at the, you know, the manufacturer interest in Formula E, which, yeah. uh, mind you, has waned a little bit in the last year or two. But, uh, yeah. yeah, but, but do, you, do, you for, do you foresee... Like, uh, you know, Red Bulls, we're just going to build our own engines because we're, we're good at building stuff. Yeah, I mean, and, and the we've got good Red people. Can and... do it is that they've got long enough notice period and they've got enough resources, enough money. They're pretty much the only team that could do it. You know, the reason that Ferrari and Mercedes can do it is because that's how they were built up. You know, they were built as a manufacturer team. You know, McLaren couldn't do it. They don't have the resources. Um, you know, Red Bull potentially. Even Aston Martin, I mean... By hook or crook and by some very strange business dealings, Aston Martin now own a Formula One team. The only reason they own a Formula One team is because the guy that owns the Formula One team bought into Aston Martin. So that's a little bit of a <laughs> you're going around three sides of the square there to get to the same point. But yeah, uh, but he, he, even Aston Martin is not really known as an engine manufacturer. A lot, a lot no. of a lot of your Aston Martin road cars, you know, have uh, Mercedes engines. Yeah, 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 exactly. But it's, you know, it's still, I mean, it'd be badged as, I believe it's going to be badged as an Aston Martin engine, but it's not really. So I, I do, I don't foresee a time where you'll have 10, 11, 12 um, privateer engine manufacturers on, on the grid, especially when you consider the cost of a current engine development. Uh, what I, and I've been saying this for a long, long time. I think what you'll start to see is teams being bought out and purchased and created from a marketing strategy standpoint. Now, Red Bull was the prime example. You know, they came in and they bought a team uh, that was reasonably successful, you know, the Stuart Jaguar team, um, and, and, and rebranded it as a soft drink. Now, 
The reason they did that is because Formula One was big in Asia, Red Bull wasn't big in Asia, and they saw an ideal market. And they've probably been more successful in Formula One with the likes of Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen that they could ever even comprehend it when they started this project. Um, but, you know, you, you now look at the teams on the grid. Um, you know, the racing point, Force India, they've been bought out by, you know, Aston Martin, branded as a, you know, a um, commercial entity. Uh, Sauber is now Alfa Romeo, again, rebranded as a commercial entity. Alfa Turi is a commercial entity. Alpine or Renault will be rebranded as Alpine for next year, which is a strange one because to me, Alpine isn't a brand. It's the sporting side of Renault. And outside of the diehard Renault Alpine people, I don't think many people know them, especially in North America. You don't even sell Renault cars no, in North America. Oh, you know, Alpine, Alpine Renault dates back to the 60s, yeah. But it's not a instant sort of recognizable global brand to people outside of racing in many, many ways. Um, I mean, again, going back to it, Williams is probably still the only genuine privateer team, and they've been bought out now. You know, the Williams family no longer owns them, and they're part of a venture capitalist uh, group. But they've agreed to maintain the name for the foreseeable future and the branding. You know, the FW car uh, naming convention uh, and the like. So I think there's a long way to go there. But definitely motorsport is changing. Um, Formula One's changing. You, you look at what's happening in NASCAR with the likes of uh, Trackhouse and 2311 racing. You know, it, it's almost becoming, I don't want to say like a plaything for the rich celebrity, but NASCAR is starting to see different outlets, and and Formula One is is in the midst, I think, of that reinventing phase. Um, right, it's becoming more of a marketing platform or a you know or a brand name than actually yeah. uh, that, that, that you know it's not uh, you know Colin Chapman's Lotus, it's not Frank Williams exactly. Williams. So, yeah. well, anyway, we've got about four minutes left, and I, I do want to mention you know that other um, open wheel series we like IndyCar. Um, and we've got some, you know, exciting changes in IndyCar, and the aforementioned, uh, you know, aforementioned Roman Grosjean will be debuting in IndyCar this year. Um, Richard Louise, what are you guys' thoughts on that, man? You, you know, how do you think this guy's going to do? He's not going to run the ovals. And there's another big name um, out there, a uh, certain Mr. Jimmy Johnson, who's also not going to run the ovals. But, uh, you, you know, you got a pretty strong rookie class when you throw in the uh, – you know, Australia's supercar champion, uh, Scott McLaughlin, in a pesky car. You know what you need? You know what you need to fix it? You need a series that solely focuses on... Oh, hang on. Wait, we've tried that, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the split. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we so. tried that. It was called the it was called it was called the IRL. And then, okay, guys, guys, guys. Let's not talk about 1996. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about yeah. We got three minutes left. Rookie class, a very diverse rookie class. You have. Essentially, the rookies that we have, and if it wasn't for the pandemic, we probably would have had Kyle Kirkwood in this roster. But we got three outsiders trying to do this IndyCar thing, which is a very unique rookie class in a way. But obviously, the favorite is McLaughlin, not because he's running the ovals. It's just he's in the Penske power card and probably has more room for growth. And also the team that he's in. Sure, Ganassi and Jimmy Johnson could be a threat, but he's learning and adapting to a whole new world where it's just road course dominant rather than just ovals. 
And as for Grosjean, he's driving for Dale Coyne with Rick Ware Racing. And the latter should kind of say say the answer, even though even though Coyne usually finds a way to do quite well with other entities. But I just don't know how it's going to work. I think Grosjean will do fine. But it does say a lot that your big attractions, Johnson and Grosjean, depending on which fan base you're on, are only are not running the ovals, which I understand it's a safety aspect. I, if I remember correctly, Max Shelton, outside of the 500, he doesn't want to do ovals because of what happened to, to Jules and the, the safety protocols, even though Jules was on a road course. But I can't, we can't blame those drivers feeling the way they are. But I think Grosjean going to IndyCar would be fun and very intriguing to see how he makes that coin card work. Because they're in a transitional period, remember. They lost, they lost Michael Cannon. They lost Bourdais. They lost Sampson. And you saw what happened. Albeit Alex Lowe shined quite well with Team Go being the alliance of the coin entity. Right, and Alex Lowe will be in a Ganassi car next year. Oh, that one. Albeit, albeit the fourth Ganassi car, which uh, asked Charlotte Kimball how good that is. <laughs> anyway, I, I, before before we run out of time, and we're just about out of time, I do want to say the team to watch as far as moving up this year is going to be McLaren. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, uh, you know, we got uh, Felix Rosenqvist in there and Pato Award. And this team is just, you know, they're like, uh, you know, it's the old Sam Schmidt team. Sam's still there. Um, uh, but with all this McLaren infused money, and I think these guys are going to be the ones that take the battle to the Penske's, Andretti's, Ganassi's of the world. So, uh, uh, but uh, we are out of time. So, uh, final thoughts, anybody? I say it's. It's been, it was definitely cool to see McDowell get a win, and he did mention when I asked him that question about the road to Indy. Imagine he said, even though he went to the Grand Am route rather than full-blown Champ Car Indy Car, without it, there might have not been a racing career for McDowell. He would have been a Bob Bonnerett testing driver, and it's also kind of fascinating how he he drove his own RB or truck to Daytona, and he included even Trevor Bain. So it's good to see somebody with a great Backstory, get the job done. Nice. Uh, final thought for you, Richard? It was good to get to back to some, you know, a race when it was meant to be scheduled, and you know, it almost felt like a sense of normality, which I think the world needs right now. All right. And for me, it was great to talk to you guys again, man. It's been too long. Our uh, little our little winter layoff has been too long, and it's uh, it's great to be back here on Drafting the Circus. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. iHeartRadio, Spreaker, uh, and Google Podcast. And uh, until next week, you folks listen to us. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much, and good night. website. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.